Welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job, the podcast, the only podcast you need. My name is Danny McCrum. I am the host of the show, the show that I started with Bobby Kennedy from the band Op Shop. Why am I telling you this? I don't know. I started talking and it came out. There you go. That's how we make this show. Today on the show, we have the infamous, the multi-talented, and now legendary Barnaby Ware. You know Barnaby, he is uh, the co-founder and uh, I guess the leader, I think, I don't quite know how it works, but let's say the leader of the Black Seeds and Fly My Pretties. And I had a great chat with Barnaby, I'd actually never met him before, so this was this was us meeting each other. And yeah, we had a really good chat, we got right into it. It was clear to me pretty quickly that he's a thinker, which I like. You know, it's nice when you talk to people and you ask them a question and you can tell that they're really thinking about it. I'm not sure if that seems like a weird thing to say, but of course in the music industry, we often have practiced lines and practiced answers. And a lot of the time when people go on uh, you know, TV shows and radio stints and things like that, um, you, you have practiced answers. You know, and, and, and one of the reasons why people do that is because you've often only got uh, 30 seconds or two minutes or something like that. And you've got to try and get through the, the fun... Um, banter, but also remember to, to, to plug whatever you're plugging, your show or your album, whatever you're there to promote. So um, one of the mechanisms is to have practiced answers. The other reason why people do that is is to stop them falling all over themselves, you know, and saying saying something stupid, which is of course easy to do when you're under that pressure, you're aware of a decent number of people listening to you and, and you're now being asked a question and and then something comes out of your mouth and you think, oh my God, why did I say that? I've done that before. I'm pretty sure everyone has. So yeah, what it ends up with is that artists often have default practice dances and that's fine. That works well on a two minute interview on the radio. Um, but with a podcast, it's it's a bit different and some guests are a little harder to penetrate, um, but it's supposed to be a conversation and Barnaby was great. He was right there and he was really considering my questions and I, you know, I think we had a really interesting conversation. It was also interesting to me because Fly My Pretties, I really respect what they stand for. You know, they, I love anything that's innovative. You know, I love anything that, that doesn't just repeat what's happened before, that approaches something from a new angle and finds new solutions. And we've been trying to do that recently with a show we've been developing, uh, a show called Noise Play. So it was quite good timing for me to, to talk to Barnaby and pick his brains a little bit. Um, we didn't talk about Fly My Pretties too much, but to, just to kind of understand where he's coming from and how he approaches these things was, was particularly interesting to me. Um, on this episode, I tell Barnaby at the end, I think he asks about it, I tell him about our upcoming show Noise Play and how we sold out three weeks or so before the gig, which you know we're really happy about obviously you know uh it's hard to sell tickets uh, in general um new zealand is a relatively tough market if we're honest and uh, most new things you know take a while to build up so we threw ourselves behind this project had no idea if anyone would be interested uh and i remember a couple of moments along the way thinking oh my god you know like will people actually buy tickets you know is this actually going to work and then we sold out like three and a half weeks before the gig. So that was great. And at the time we recorded this conversation, we were in the swing of that. I can't remember when we recorded the conversation, but I think it was, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. And then, of course, the recent lockdown happened and it happened right on the week of our show. So we had to make a call. Awkwardly also, the lockdown was announced, what, it was starting on Sunday night, if I remember correctly, and our show was Friday night. And the lockdown was only going to be for three days. So there was actually a chance the show could go ahead, but w there was no way of knowing. And and our conversation was like, well, we're going to level three. What are the chances we're going to drop back down to level one, you know, in three days or four days? Um, that's not going to happen, I don't think, you know. Um, but it could happen. We could actually end up on Friday having cancelled our show um, and, and, you know, and yet we might actually be able to do it. But at the venue that we were in, we wouldn't have been able to proceed at level two. And we just we just felt like it was too risky. And we also didn't want to be, you know, taking the piss. You know, what we're doing is entertainment. You know, it's it's, it's a bonus. Um, it's not required. We're not an essential service. And um, we don't want anyone getting sick on our, on our watch, you know. So we thought, let's just play it safe. We'll postpone the show. And them's the breaks. 
we can't complain, of course, uh, where we have lots of friends and colleagues in different parts of the world, particularly in LA. And over there, I mean, they haven't really been working for a year, you know, so we can't complain. I mean, we've been so unbelievably lucky to be in New Zealand during this whole thing. Uh, so then we're faced with the new task of finding a venue last minute. You know, we the levels dropped down. It looked like we can, we can go ahead. At this point, we can go ahead. Of course, anything could happen between now and then. Um, but we start looking for a new venue, which proves very difficult because the outcome of the lockdown meant all of these shows and productions and stuff got bumped, um, but only bumped a little bit. And all of the shows that were booked from a week or so later onwards, they didn't get bumped. So now you've got all these shows and festivals being moved over, but there's no available dates, or at least very limited um, available dates in venues and so on. So we were really stuck. And also, a lot of the people on our team and our production, um, there's a good number of people involved, a lot of people were also booked up with other things. So getting everyone available on the same day was, was tricky as well, lining that up with a venue and so on. Anyway, we worked it out. It was a stressful week, but we worked it out, and we've now booked the Victoria Theatre in Devonport. We've decided to go bigger. So we're now doing our debut show in a theatre, which is pretty cool, right? And that's happening on March 18th. So you can you can visit the website, which is noiseplay.co.nz. You can buy tickets at paperplanetickets.com. It's going to be a great night. We've got Debbie Harwood and Bonnie Huranui from Whitechapel Jack joining us, and it'd be great to see you there. So I had a great time talking to Barnaby. He's a professional, he's a gentleman, it was a good ride. This is my conversation with Barnaby Ware. I mean, I have a 10 month old. Yep. And um, so that's obviously, take, he takes heaps of attention, that's all good, but um, yeah, just, just being in your zone, you know, is really important. Exactly. You know, and having yeah. that focus, it takes a lot of time, so it takes a lot of focus, and I find that um, I need to be like, I'm not home today, I'm at work in my studio, so please respect that, and I will see you later. It's a luxury that I think musicians have, and probably other artists have, over general people you know like we actually have a good excuse to designate a room for all our shit <laughs> and like yeah i'll see you in a few hours i'm just going to go and do some stuff you know it's the man cave for um musicians yeah yeah the, exactly the person cave. and so speaking of the man cave thing um like i'm in i'm in the middle of some pretty intense projects right now and i've got that kind of brain throb that i'm sure you know pretty well um how do you get out of like how do you step out of music and have a break <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, well, recently I've been finding it's interesting that you just kind of brought that up, you know, the, the mental kind of factor and motivation and stuff. Um, I've been finding it really um, difficult, not not to be inspired or uh, or that, but just to have the time, the focused time with a young child um, is a challenge. Yeah, um, yeah. Most people's jobs uh, is a nine to five thing and you don't see your kid all day and then, you know, you, you, you're home and you... Um, and you in you in the you know the, the monies, but um, you miss out on the time with your child. Whereas I have quite a bit of time with, with Miles, um, yeah, which is great. But then it's just balancing acts, you know, in summer with gigs on the weekends. You're away, and then um, come back to um, to full parenting, and um, and so where does the music come in? And, and like I was kind of just hinting to before, you know, I I need like days in a row, you know, well, yeah. certainly big blocks of time. To um to listen and to make decisions and to um organise the brain clutter I guess of the different projects. Right. Um. Some you know there's more priorities. Some are more priorities at the moment than others. Like it's a Black Seeds album year this year, and uh-huh. we released a single late last year, and we're working on an album, so that's a priority. Um, yeah. working on a new Fly My Pretties project for next year, and that's kind of a second creative priority. And then also I just you know like many musos there's a bunch of recordings over the last 10 years that need finishing that are right. so close you know but yeah. just like the the years roll by yeah and um and that gets frustrating which is a good motivator mm. a bit of frustration you're like right that song it's so close what do i need to do it's like redo the vocal check that sound bounce some of these plugins down you know get real about it and get um yeah get it to a, a mastering stage right yeah and that but- makes me that kind of thing makes me happy because what, one of the things that, one of the weird dynamics in, in our types of lives is that the thing that started off being our hobby and our escape then becomes our job. And yeah. it, like, if that's the thing you've always turned to, to step out, you know, how do you yeah. step out when that's now your, your full-time job? I mean, for me, I can, sometimes I can just play and just play stuff that's not what I'm playing professionally and that works. But 
sometimes I don't want to hear any music. Yeah, I, I, I'm like you in terms of in terms of that. And you're saying, you know, how do I get a reprieve from that? And I yeah. guess I, I don't need one at this time because, mm. um, you know, although music as a job is all consuming and stuff, um, you know, being a parent is, is all consuming as well, and that's you know it takes priority. But um, right. But yeah, I, I um, my job is a, is a bunch of different musical jobs mainly. Yeah. And um, and songwriting is the core of that. Mm. So um, to have that time to yourself to be able to come up with ideas and play guitar and stuff is, is, is seems like a luxury but is totally essential obviously to um staying in the game for yes. myself and you know writing better tunes and that's right you know, getting better at production and stuff it just takes a lot of time and i think that's people it. don't quite realize that like you know where do these songs come from they come from <laughs> yeah. year, years of working at different ideas you know exactly so how old's your kid uh 10 months 10 yeah, months 10 and a bit months right so you're in the yeah. thick of it so, yeah. We're in the thick of it. He's like walking, well, starting to walk and stuff. And um, right, yeah, he's a he's a handful. So now yeah. you need to remember to close doors and close gates. <laughs> yep, yeah, we have to safety a whole house, eh? and it's like, yeah, you know, fingers and drawers and fingers and doors and yeah. Um, so he's accident prone at the moment, but um, you know, just bounces back with a good attitude, which is great. Is this you know? your is this your first one? Yeah, first, yeah, first right. child. Yeah. And because yeah. you know that's possibly on my um, horizon. So how are you adjusting cool. to that? How are you? Uh, What's it? What's it really like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah well, I won't. I won't uh, look through rose-tinted glasses on this. Um, you know, yeah. it's been amazing. It's amazing. It's bloody amazing. I mean, it's you know, it feels like you know a purpose, a, a, a um, fundamental human purpose, kind of fulfilled with that. But you know, it's yeah. just the beginning of the story. You know, right? Um, and um, and I guess yeah, trying to balance it with with uh, work and, and stuff like that. Um, I'm you know, I'm loving it. But it was a huge. It has been and still is a huge transition. I'm getting yeah. better at the parenting. Um, and being a partner, you know, it's a parent that's that's good. Um, so yeah, it's a real challenge, but it's so amazing seeing him develop every day. Like yeah. you know, two weeks ago he was crawling a bit better and kind of picking himself up just onto ta- onto you know couches and stuff. Now he's like just that's what he does now. He just cruises around, wants to be on his feet, holding on to things, yeah. holding on to the hairs of your legs, <laughs> you know, um, and having a few spills. So um, right, that's yeah. amazing to see, eh? Like. The development in such a short amount of time and the brain is just always going and he's yeah getting language and stuff so yeah it's really exciting man it's a beautiful thing and um and um i i do recommend it but it's um yeah being a creative uh, you just have to be a bit more careful about your time well i mean I, what i wonder about myself because i'm i'm sure we're probably the, the same that we go from project to project and we get fully invested in each project we do right so i'm like in mode of working on this show or this album whatever um, I wonder when I have a kid whether it'll feel the same. Like this is my new band, you know. Like this is my new album yeah. I'm making. This is, this this just happens to be it's, like a twenty year it's album. The best <laughs> project. Yeah. It's yeah. the best project. Yeah. yeah, definitely a great project. And you know, um, this little guy, I'm just you know seizing him up to be a roadie. To be, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, he's already got the shaker and you know repeating the rhythm, which is good. And yeah, he, I've got a guitar. I've got a guitar for him, which is just like a Yamaha three quarter size nylon string. You know, nice early guitar kind of thing for nice. the floor you know um, awesome tune that to like an open d and then yeah. you know keep it tuned and you just like can hit it and it sounds good you know and so yeah i play I play him guitar most days um but you know raising him to be a um a dentist doctor lawyer or something like that i don't know you know <laughs> financial uh guru perhaps? right yeah i i love <sighs> i love the idea of um of taking or, or not allowing the fear of music to creep in for kids, you know. I remember seeing, mm. uh, or you know, or any version of intimidation. I remember seeing an interview with Ben Harper when he was talking about um, his granddad's shop, where his granddad fixed instruments, and and he said the policy was I was allowed to pick up any instrument and play any instrument, and so like right from the earliest oh. age, he just had no fear of of anything. He just played everything and sort of figured it out, you know. Wow, and that's I, cool, eh? That's a cool place to be as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. So what were you, I mean, because your, your dad was actually a little bit of a celebrity, right? Radio personality. Yeah, well, yeah, radio producer and um, for children's programs. In the um, in the 70s, he did more um, commercial radio and uh, yeah. advertising voice jobs and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, national radio, he had uh, lots of different um, kid shows. Kids, right. you know, Sunday story time, and he had a thing called Ears, Erratic Attic radio show. Yeah. So I was um, brought up around the studio, around um, the old Broadcasting House studios, which is, like, like it's gone now, but yeah. um, unfortunately, but was New Zealand's only, I think, purpose-built orchestral size room in, in Sub One. Yes. Um, yeah. Which was down in the basement, and that's where Dad worked, you know? Right. So um, that's pretty amazing. And, you know, obviously, you, you know, the, the Neumann mics, and there's this big yeah. room full of, like, uh, percussion-y things and um, Foley 
sound things and then um you know it's really dead in there obviously and um and recorded you know as a teenager first band there and stuff um awesome. and had you know he would leave me sometimes to do script writing or whatever and um leave me literally in the studio by myself with you know a few <laughs> ideas and a bit of a record and you know um I didn't know how to hit record on the tape so much you know yeah. and and set it all up but um so yeah real privilege to be immersed in that without the pressure of having to as if he expected me to do anything like that. But I guess what I learned was seeing him create, be creative every day and seeing right. him create recordings. That, that's the art that I witnessed and uh, became something I was really um, naturally just interested in. And that's similar in a way, I guess, to the Ben Harper thing because he sort of demystified the, the process, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, is this what other people's parents do, you know? <laughs> right. So um, when... And then mum had the, um, you know, mum has the kind of musical taste. Right. And, and the record collection, you know, yeah. um, and she played music. The house was always kind of filled with kind of music. Emmy Lou Harris, you know, nice. Uh, Peter Paul, Mary, um, yeah. Neil Young, you know that kind of stuff. American kind of classics, yeah. Um, and Graceland and all that. Um, so, and then you know, from there, my brother, older brother, always helps. Yeah. You know, um, four years older is like the perfect age to introduce you to everything you should or shouldn't partake in. Yeah, and I didn't have that, but I, I kind of feel like I missed out on that. Like having that, having that older brother say, "Dude, don't listen to that album. This is the one you want to listen to." Right, You're like that album yeah, sucks. I mean, this is the this is the one you want to get on on. That's it. He's like, check this out. You know, yeah. slippery when wet. Yeah, yeah. You know, hear the drumsticks and you play drums on the bed. You know, yeah. like or on anything and on just pillows. tap away and be yeah. like, yeah. Uh, you know, your mind's blowing. You know, you're like listening to this this vinyl record um that or the boss. Yeah. You know, um and you know he had quite a actually quite a broad range of music later on, which mm. helped me. But um yeah, just that thing of like, oh, this is fun. What's yeah. this? So when your dad is a uh, you know, hosting shows for kids, and I'm guessing he's got lots of fans at the time who are kids. Yeah. Do you feel like you're kind of sharing your dad? Is it kind of like it sort of like dilutes something? Um, you know, back in the day or now? No, I mean, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. Um, definitely, like he was working hard and in, in, in a way a lot, and um, yeah, in the studio a lot. Um, but you know, that's okay. We, you know, we got the story time. The story time was pretty amazing because he's got this great voice. He could do all these characters. Yeah. Um, he, he's a really great reader and a great presenter of spoken word. So, you know, that was cool. I mean, mm. it kind of blows blows your mind, makes your imagination kind of um, really get into the stories. Like yeah. uh, Roald Dahl and, and some of these classics where you're like really there with the characters. You so know? you're saying um, he made time for you despite his career. He always made time for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Did you, did no, he, you, did he totally you, did. Did you get on with them well growing up? Uh, yeah, most of the time until you like, kind of teens and yep. folks broke up and then there's a bit of angst, you know, for, you know, um, 10, 15 years of, uh, of like, fuck you, dad. Um, <laughs> it's like a rite of but, passage. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, always loved them, you know. It's just, um, you know, um, and I think in my th- early 30s, I'm like, okay, I've gotten over that now. Yeah. Forgive and forget, well, not forget, but forgive and move on and talk about it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, I don't know why it took me so long to mature in terms of some of those concepts, but I guess it's just emotionally hurtful and when you're young and you're just uh, doing your best as well to get on with it, eh? But, um, yeah, well, it takes yeah, a while to get that perspective and obviously when you're a teenager, you're going through this very weird evolution of, of you know, going from being a kid to an adult and trying to figure that out, right? And so mm. you, you've got to challenge the... the, the the, the walls in front of you, I guess, and, and, you know, and test everything and otherwise you yeah, don't know. Totally. Yeah. But, you know, like thinking about it, it's just, it was a sweet upbringing. You know, we weren't rich or anything. I mean, he did quite well in the 80s, but, you know, they kind of split up and they blew it kind of thing. Right. But, you know, they did well. They did well. And, you know, we were lucky kids, but um, not overly spoiled, I don't think. But, yeah. um, so, you know, it's just, you yeah, know, really grateful, you know. Well, as a side note, what do you think about the idea that good art has to come from tragedy or trauma? Do you believe in that? Yeah, right. Um, I believe that it is true that not, I mean, I don't think all good art has to come from tragedy or trauma, but right. certainly um, events, you know, uh, big events in your life or um, big feelings, big emotions, yeah. whether it's happy or sad or dramatic, um, helps, you know, because yeah. um, if, if you're flatlining, then you have to have a good imagination to um, to explore those kind of feelings. Um, right. I think that, as a side, you know, but the same concept is, is that, you know, I feel that great art is all emotional expression from a human, you know, yes. in a creative way, and, and it doesn't have to be, um, you know, um, exactly the story, you know, like literally the story that you're trying to explain, but it's a feeling that you're trying to explain, and music right. does that really well. Colours colors do that in an abstract way, you know. Um, mm. um, film can do that in a, in a storytelling kind of a way. Um, 
and approach, but music is so key in that. And I just mean the recorded recorded music, listening without visuals, you know, um, yeah. you know, makes you feel something. And and um, and I think good art should doesn't have to um, provoke right all the time. Yes. Doesn't have to be political all the time. Doesn't have to be like devastating all the time. But <laughs> but there are you know that's that's cool. Yeah. But you know it can inspire as well and um, uplift and. Um, that sense that you're not alone in the world, or mm. that sense that you know, um, uh, I think it's important. But yeah, it should have it needs to have a center to it. You know, you yeah. know, like when you're making a tune and you're just working on a new tune, but really you're just practicing making a new tune. Yeah, that's right. And then every now and again, something really resonates, and all of a sudden you've got some story to tell or a line, you know, melody that start you know start unraveling it yeah. out. That's yeah. how I kind of work, and um, and sometimes it's just like a pretty average background. Uh, if you're lucky, TV ad, um, jingle kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's a great tune. And, and then sometimes you it's it just out. like, shit, it's, it's all there. And yeah. Yeah, because um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I used to not believe that art had to come from trauma. I used to think that was mm. that was idealism or, or you know, or too simplistic. Uh, and I can't, now these days I tend to kind of flip-flop because there are a number of artists that I knew from a distance that I thought, well, they seem to have a good life and they wrote great songs, you know? But then I, I got to know them a little bit, and I found out that there was some stuff in the back, you know. Yeah. And then I, and then I kind of expanded the idea, and I think, well, I think maybe it does come from trauma, but it doesn't mean that everybody's had the kind of growing up in the in Compton kind of trauma, you know. Like not everyone's yeah. not everyone's come from some obvious tragedy. Sometimes it's just your life was actually fine, but you just felt a little bit alone the whole time or something, you know? Yeah, something that's like right. That. Or maybe it's, yeah. you know, maybe it's the artist's job to um, to present the perspective of other people's um, experiences as well. That's right. Um, and, and, and to translate it into a um, beautiful piece that, that, that makes you feel like someone understands you. Yes, but what provokes the artist, though, to, to actually... Because yeah. everyone has the emotions, right? But what's provoke, what provokes yeah. the artist to go, I'm going to be the one that puts that into the song? Yeah, true, true. I mean, you know, like there's heaps of songs that I've written and with other people, but um, you know that that are kind of relationship based, you know, um, mm. love songs um, that end up becoming more about um, a feeling or a love for being alive. You know, not yeah. just the focus on a, on a one specific relationship, but of course, you know, getting your heart broken or breaking someone's heart yeah. um, is an is an event, you know, yes. and part of your history and. And, you know, you feel sad if you break someone's heart and, and um, written a few songs, you know, with that and, and likewise the other way around. And, or just, you know, that frustration of a relationship not working yeah. sucks and um, and how you express that, you know, in a riff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you that on the premise that an event of some kind of emotional gravity has to happen or you have to have something to say, basically, in a, in a good story or a good piece of art. If you've got nothing to say, then it's just kind of like design or like right. music design or you know which is not to diss it but it's like it's like people that are amazing tech heads on on in their studio and stuff but they their, their music is like soulless or something yeah. you're just kind of like yeah. wow you've got all this great equipment you spend quite a bit of time doing it you know all the ins and the outs but like these songs like they don't mean anything you know yeah. it feels like they don't mean anything which is obviously my opinion and, and furthering on that you know now we have a much more mature conversation happening in the music industry about mental health and we're discovering yeah. that you know someone feeling anxious isn't something to minimize that that can actually be quite serious and and yeah. that and i think that could even just be the trauma you know um but i think what i'm saying is that it's more inclusive than we probably realized like i think we in the past we've thought the, the amazing artist needs to have had some horrific event and that for, therefore that's a very small percentage of artists. But I think actual in actual fact, most people have trauma. You know, most people yeah. have frustration, especially now in the world, you know, and Yeah. And um But also maybe yeah. it's good maybe it's a good side point is that, you know, there's that artistic why was me thing which um doesn't you know can get really annoying yeah, you know, yeah like, totally. um, oh he's the frustrated you know depressed artist like exactly is it, you know it's a stereotype you know that's like, right um you know a lot of artists can be intense and i think that's great i think yeah. it's just you know what's on your mind and then that's what you you know you channel it into something hopefully you know yes. but uh, I, I don't want to be the guy like oh no here comes barney oh he's always you know <laughs> got something on his mind you know yeah. like it's good to good to lighten up a wee bit too, and um, oh yeah, but you know, like think about like the blues and think about Motown and that kind of yeah. stuff. That's full of joy, but it's often yeah, yeah. It's, it's it was kind of their survival mechanism, right, back in the day, especially coming from like the slavery in America and so on. You know, that was the sure. way that they banded together and sort of supported each other. Um, and we think of the blues, for example, as being oh, it's the blues, it's all sad, but but no, it's not. It's actually the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No, there's, yeah, yeah there's, I love, I'm loving some blues. Um, this guy Slim Harpo that are, yep. it's kind of early, early stuff. And um, yeah, he's just, um, he's just cruising. He's just got a cruisy sound. It's like, right. um, it's yeah, it's not kind of, it's just something I discovered over the last couple of years that I've been loving listening to. Awesome, um, Slim yeah. Harpo. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you might get some. Um, annoying mowing of the lawns around here um, right just by the way <laughs> that's okay i've got trucks and com- coming back and forth behind my house here there's some renovations happening on the next property so um it is it is uh an organic thing yeah you're just about to do your you're just about to do your amazing vocal take that's You've right spent exactly years right. building up to this and then some bastard like starts their mower yep yep and they just start going for you like no and you go oh they. god damn it but then you also remember <laughs> like, then you also remember you're not paying studio fees <laughs> and you go yes. you know i can yeah. ro- i can roll with that yeah I was going to ask like when you sort of got the bug to be a musician, but it sort of sounds like it was mm. growing right from the start. So I guess the question would be, when did you get Pretty the, early, yeah. yeah. When did you get the, the, when did it form in your mind? I want to make this my career or make this my life. Um, yeah, good point. I mean, I think, um, you know, some piano lessons were, were helpful in terms of a kind of an understanding of some notes and stuff, you know, Yeah. but the music that I was learning was just standard stuff. And it was like, ter- you know, terrible music, you know, right. like not inspiring, you know, so yeah. you're like, Oh no, piano lessons, fuck this, you know? <laughs> um, and so some, one time my brother paid me five bucks to just not go because he didn't want to go, you know? um, which I happily accepted. Yeah. Cause yeah. that's about with, with about 50 bucks. You know, <laughs> yeah, the day. So, exactly. um, so, you know, Oh, I don't feel well, you know, like, you know, piano practice, but, I did a wee bit of it, um, grade four or five or something like that, and um, yeah. that was a starter. But yeah, mum had a guitar, I was picking that up, and then I got, when I was 11, I got an electric guitar from the Kiwi Music Company, which, you know, at the end of being 11. Um, Who's the Kiwi Music Company? Uh, that was like uh, a Wellington instrument shop, right. you know, kind of like the rock shop, oh, rock yeah. shop but back in the day, independent, mm-hmm. independently owned, yeah, by Dave Berry, who I still know, but I haven't seen for years, and um, I still have both the guitars that I bought off him. One nice. is a um, this guitar here, which is a, a Fender Strat copy, basically. Um, uh, Axiom is the name, and uh-huh. they'd fucked up the branding on it, so that was, there was a few hundred dollars off that. All right. And I and I got a um, a PV Rage. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. And um, I was just in heaven, and that um, was the beginnings of for me, just like, oh man, this is so cool. I can't play anything, but I can play yeah. Wild Thing. I you know I love the <laughs> version of Wild Thing by Jimi Hendrix, and I yeah. couldn't play all of his cool shit, but. I could play the E string, you know, and go to A and B. That's a way cool. And, um, that's a way cooler first guitar than my first electric. My first electric yeah, was yeah. it was a Westone Spectrum ST. I don't yeah, know. If, have so. you even heard of Westone? No. No, you don't need to. That's fine. It sounded like complete ass, but you know, I appreciated nicer guitars when I got to them. <laughs> yeah, I mean the PV Rage, you know. Yeah. I gave it a lot of shit, but actually, it's not so bad for a real small first. You know, I was a lucky, lucky kid. That was my Christmas and birthday. Right. All rolled in, and I was like. This is awesome. And then um, a teacher was organising the end of year school show yep. and um, and chose me to, to, to do some singing and, and, and acting in that. And that was, I guess, a little bit of confidence to say, okay, you've got to learn these songs. Um, Blue Suede Shoes was one. Yeah. Ruby, Ruby Baby nice. was one. Yeah. And, um, and then um, a couple others, I can't remember what they were. Those were the two main ones that I had to learn. And, yeah. And so, yeah, did, that gave me a wee bit of confidence to be like, oh, I can play in front of people, mm. like a bunch, a bunch of people, which seemed like a massive audience, but was not. Yeah. And anyway, that, that was a big a beginning. And did you have a concept at that time? Because you're talking about, what, 12, 13 years old yeah. at the time uh, 11 years old that, that year was a big, big year in 12 yeah and so at that time were you thinking in terms of career i mean i know you probably wouldn't no. have used the word career but i was at that yeah, age wasn't, yeah. at that age i was thinking i'm gonna be a rock star like i knew that i didn't totally want to have another job i guess um i guess i wanted those kind of thoughts though just yeah more dreams and um and you know i was just digging uh jimmy hendrix yeah. and just a weird bunch of music that you know but i still love hendrix obviously you know yeah um a lot of people do that amuse us generally, but yeah, he's still, he's still at the forefront, man, of like that instrument and and his his you know and with the experience. But no, I didn't really have the career thing until later when it was more like actually we're getting quite good at this. You know, I should I should be better at this. We you know I'd like this to be a career, but so later on in the like fifteen sixteen we had a, had a rock uh, indie band. Yeah, uh, we were, I was listening to things like Blur. I mean not Blur. Um, Going Blank Again, Ride, and. Um, and uh, trippy hip hop and stuff like that as well, but um, yeah, she had she had were you know big influence, and um, so yeah, then I got to record in Dad's studio with that band, and we did four or five tracks or something that was original, and yep. you know that was a band, you know that's kind of like first thing coming together, and um, that's why like, yeah, we, we're really trying from about 
then in right. 15 you know and, and at that point you were thinking in terms of career yeah right yeah but you know it kind of got distracted at the end of school and stuff as well and like first years of varsity kind of and until starting the black seeds yeah in 98 yeah well that's so the thing around, like you know, cause i remember there yeah. being a relatively negative view generally um about the idea of trying to become a professional in music it was you know most people yeah. were saying it's like that it's not going to happen you know and, well this is why you know yeah. get a, um, a real job is, is such a big concept in new zealand because it's yeah. still the case yeah it's still the case you know even even if you even if you just play to twenty thousand people, you know someone's still, you know, thinking, you know. So do you think you'll ever get a real job? Or you know, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. by yeah. real, do you mean something I don't want to do? <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. You know, that earns about the same mm. or with my time. So you know, I'm really big on um, on going for it and trying to um, for you know people to feel like it is a real job that it is important, yeah. not just to them. Yeah. And that um, that there's value in music, you know, long after you're dead. Absolutely, and um, and if you can make some money doing it, then good on you. But at the same time, it's it is really hard to make a living off one um, stream of income, right? You can, like if you you can't totally. really just. And I know you guys are, are you know are a popular band, and you probably do draw in a little bit of money. But um, you know you have to for, diversify. You your, have to diversify your, your projects exactly. Yeah, you yeah. know, and do the odd gig that you you know that's not the coolest gig ever, but you know just do it. You know, yeah. Um, if, if you need the money uh, to an end. Yeah, and invest back in yourself, you know. And most good musicians I know are, um, you know, they're playing. They've they're sometimes in some big stuff, but they're also they're doing the covers, they're doing lessons, they're often doing something more admin based behind the scenes. You know, they might all be yep. in music. That's what I do. I've got like seven yeah. seven jobs. It's all music. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, cool, man. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's how you have to do it, eh? Yeah. Um, and, you know, bread and butter is important. You, you know, and um. So yeah, you know, you know, just well done to anyone that's kind of making it all work, and you know, with your different, you know, diverse jobs and stuff, and yeah, it's um, you know, it's a good, good challenge. So, what were the early years like for you uh, on a financial level? Like, were you, uh, you know, holding down little part-time jobs here and there while you were pushing the bands? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Lots of shitty jobs. Um, yeah. You know, a cleaner for and, and the teens kind of like a nice. cleaner for an apartment block. Yeah. You know, on the like the stairwell and the the lift and that kind of stuff and yep. get the rubbish out of out of the out of the car park and stuff like that um you know paper runs bloody um uh just laboring yeah um all that kind of stuff as a student yeah yeah poor student you know used to just you know i'm just still paying off the student loan but i'm getting there i'm almost there but it just <laughs> racked up just yeah. took you know when the money was just like you just called up yeah and said oh can i please have some of that 20 grand i'll just have like for how much would you like sir and be like mm, let's make it twelve thousand. <laughs> Um, you yeah, know, and then just like, just yeah. blow it on 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 fun times. But yeah. um, <laughs> so yeah, poor student. Um, and then you know you do a gig, and you know you, you're charging not much on the door, and and you're uh, earning not much, but you're you know it feels right. It felt right. It felt good. I had a number of jobs like that too. I did all sorts of um, stuff that I didn't enjoy at the time. Worked in a sheet metal factory and unloaded containers and drove forklifts and drove vans and shit like that. And most of the time, at the time, I didn't enjoy it. I was like, this sucks. I got to get out of here. You know. But now looking back, I'm really grateful that I did it because I learned a lot about things like teamwork, you know, yep. don't stand around while someone else is working. I've got a huge amount of respect for people doing those sorts of jobs. I think that what yeah, we man. what we sometimes call blue collar, I think is a very honorable way to make a living. Yeah, totally. I agree. I agree. And, and yeah, respect for people and like doing a job well, and you know, like if you can see, you know, if you can see that it can be improved, then do it yeah. to the standard. You know, do it to a higher standard. You know, if you yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, teamwork is a big, big part of being in a band and music for sure. That's and, right. Um, and just working hard, you know, um, is is um, respectful. You know, in whatever you're doing, you know. Mm. But um, it doesn't have to be hard, like unenjoyable. But you know, um, have, taking pride in your work and, and doing it well is pretty awesome. Well, it is uh, to have a, a long-term career in music. It is hard, mm. you know. There are highs mm. and lows, and it takes a lot of courage and strength, you know, especially to do the sort of stuff that you've done to lead people and to, you know, initiate and 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 push projects forward. Um, do you agree that mm. takes a huge amount of strength of character? Um, I think it, it does. You've got to be determined, yeah, and um, and never give up, kind of thing. I know that's a bit cheesy, but it's just kind of like you know. What I was just thinking as you said that, you know, what is it that makes me want to keep doing it yeah. um is that you know there's still so much to express and um and write and and when you have a song you like you actually play it and you go actually this is pretty cool i like this you yeah know? And you, you like your own stuff because you don't always like your own stuff and you're like true no this this is fucking awesome and you know yeah. and, then, and that's the core of the motivation to keep keep going so it's like you know 
the seeds is obviously a, a team, and, and Fly My Pretty is, is, is a team that changes. Mm. Um, and there does need to be some leadership there. And sure, I have been that guy, but you know, it's such a team effort, and um, um, and takes all the different skills, you know, right. together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. I just want to turn up and play, and you know. Yeah. Well, where do you think you got that strength from? The strength. And by the way, I've got uh, I've got a, a weed whacker out the window now too. <laughs> oh, that's a weed whacker. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's determination and um, passion for for what we're doing, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just now just part of my intensity. Sure. And um, still have that, but yeah, it can be tiring. It can be like, oh man, you know, what are we going to do? Like the whole COVID scenario is like, yeah. okay, so no international touring. And no actual touring in New Zealand for ages and, and things like that, you know, get a bit worrying. But yeah. um, there was good support from the government, you know, I've got to say, over that time. But, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, what's next? It's always kind of what's next. And now, with, you know, now you're doing, you know, streams and, and, the, and the, um, the financial rewards for streams is, is not good unless you're hitting the millions, you yes. know, and the multi-millions um, of right. streams. Yeah. But... These other ways, you know, to license music and, and, and still, I mean, I, I obviously do it not for the money. Yeah. Because um, hasn't hasn't been heaps of it, but there's been, you know, good 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 times. But um, but on those days when you're, you know, you're in the middle of a project, maybe we're talking further back in the past, right? You're in the middle of a project and people are tired, getting a bit shitty with each other, or, or you're just dealing with, you know, the pressure's building and things aren't working out and, you know, just those days. And... At, at at those points, a lot of band leaders they kind of fold, you know. They they yeah. kind of, they they go oh, it's too much, and they 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 don't have the follow yeah. through. And I think like my strength on that has come from, you know, having a somewhat aggressive childhood, which gave me that kind of grit. Uh, and I don't know if that's how other people work. Like like where do you think mm. you got your grit from? No, that's that's good. I mean, I mean, I think that mm, uh, probably my mother, like you know, just strong kind of ethic. Yeah, ethics and lo- and loyalty, you know. Right. Yes. Um, like you know, like I'm I'm kind of from the generation of like the band, like you don't leave the band, you don't, you know, right. you can. Yeah. But you know, you, you don't quit, and you know. Yeah. You make the band as awesome as you can, and you know, things like you know, you're only as good as your last show and yes. your last album, your last song, your last practice, all those things. It's like, yeah, I just want to make that awesome, but I don't want to be an asshole about it, like <laughs> you know. Um, so it's great when you can be like, "Hey, we've got this, you know, under control. Like we smashed that gig, or um, whatever it is." Um, it does take a bit of bit of grit and patience, and um, but yeah, that determination and passion for what you do is is just is integral. You know, so key. Right. Um, and um, you know, Black Seed's been around twenty two years, I think now. Yeah. And um, you know, varying levels of success and and whatnot. But um, you know, we've been playing gigs recently, and and people have been enjoying that and. I think we've been playing generally well, um, right? And you just kind of got to keep getting better and better, you know. So that's just it just becomes more natural that you know the level of what we think's like a, a a good but an average but good gig, yeah. Um, and what the people see, hopefully they see that as like, well, that's like casually bloody awesome, you know, I right. like that. Mm. And it sounded great, you know. And then you just keep pushing, like, well, what can we do? How can we make the stage show better? What should I, you know? Yeah. Um, what can we change to make ourselves better? And in those and in those early days, though, when you were just like just before things were about to start mm. happening for you, were you quite sure of yourself? Were you quite cocky, or you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, th- um, I don't think cocky. I think humble, but um, but determined. Yeah. Um, and I was like, no, there's the, you know, there's something special that I that we're feeling that we think this is worthwhile doing. Um, right. And um, and I was excited, and I was I was young. You know, the, the, some of the guys in the band were like five years older than me and stuff, so I was probably, I was the youngest. Yeah, right. And so I did have that, that's what, you know, hopefully not too cocky, but, you know, confident, like, yeah, we can do this, man. But, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm quite um, kind of shy in a way as well and right. respectful of el- elders. And so I wasn't like, we're the fucking shit, you know, ever. <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes, some days you have that feeling and you're like, quietly, yeah. we're the fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. We fucking nailed that, you know. <laughs> but, you know, not every time. And um, you've just got to get keep finding things to get better at you know like yeah better better songwriting or better guitar playing or better singing you know like right i'm pretty hard on myself so it's like you know don't sing out of tune oh i'm going a bit uh, sharp generally not flat and you're like oh come on mate get get that tuning back in there <laughs> yeah yeah you know oh, i think we're all like um, that i certainly wasn't cocky or or um and when i say cocky i don't mean like in a douchey way i mean i just mean like having that kind of upstart thing you know mm. and, I, and i definitely had my fair share of uh, insecurities and so on but i was just actually watching some footage yesterday uh, of 
when I was 15, we got through to the national finals of the Rock Quest and we were playing at the town hall in Auckland, uh, Auckland town hall. Jump, or the crowd was packed in, jumping up and down, and I'm up the front owning them. And in, I remember at the time trying to channel Eddie Vedder. I was like, I'm, I'm the fucking, I'm Eddie Vedder, you know? And, um, and I was now watching this footage of 15 year old me like dominating this crowd just going where the cool. f- where the fuck did that come from <laughs> i don't yeah, think i don't know yeah. if i could do that now you know it's definitely that's awesome man and, yeah. and you know um it's definitely just that well that's that passion and that drive and then and then it's like learning from other people like you know you don't see many people that are that are great at their craft like you know um well you, you can be very subtle you know people yeah. can be subtle and that can be an artist thing but yeah you know how did elvis do it how did chuck berry do it how did you know jimmy hendrix do it how did um billy holiday do it how did um you know right whatever your style whatever your style is mean well you know your your performance will be appropriate but if you need to be going big then that takes you know a lot of confidence um or at least belief in yourself that you can do it and be yes. entertaining yeah and you've got to have that every every show you know and the thing um, that surprised me going in was that it, often the right before and right after is actually really sterile or whatever you're like you're backstage in a fluorescent lit room and there's no ambience or anything and it's everyone standing around quietly and then suddenly you're on stage and you've got to become the person mm. and then you're off again yeah. or i remember doing like tv spots and and it would be the same deal like everyone's standing around scratching their ass and then suddenly it's like five four three go you know and, um, Hello, I'm Barnaby Weir. Exactly. I'm <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I've learned to, um, from, from my vibe, um, you know, getting out into the crowd um, before you play and, you know, getting into the vibe of what's happening in the room, you know, right. getting out there is, is really important for me and meeting some people, um, hopefully fans or not even necessarily, but just yeah. people that are having a good time. Um, you know, saying hi to some of the crew and that, you know, getting amongst it, not just um, coming out too cold because you know that can not work as well you know sometimes you're just really tired and you've just got to use every amount of strength just to get into the zone yes but um i find that it's you know it does inspire me to be more out and in the party yeah um you know and um to to before you do it yeah yeah yeah. so when the black seeds started like because because i'm from auckland so i don't know the origin of that reggae dub movement i don't quite know when it all started by the time i think i noticed it it was probably already the what 2002 or three maybe by the time i really yeah, really yeah, noticed sure it. Yeah. yeah totally was that i mean when the black seed started was that already happening or were you guys just before it no there was well there, there was, it was already happening in new zealand um you know there'd been some um there'd been um there'd been a number of bands but i'm just like I'm his, think historically there'd been like the herbs and stuff yeah, like that yeah, yeah sure but i mean the, yeah, the, the more recent others, um but around us, there was Cell Dub, and you yeah. know, there was there was Aucklanders producers doing some kind of like digi dub, you know, kind of stuff. And, right. Um, but very, you know, underground stuff, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, Unitone Hi-Fi, and um, um, you know, Tuffy Culture, mm. um, the vocalist. I saw him one time in Wellington. That was cool. Yep. Um, and people in Wellington that were supporters and, and purveyors of the scene and the genre, um, you know, like Moo from Fat Freddy's, you know, pre Fat Freddy's, and yeah. He was in, you know, a group of DJs Roots Foundation. They were inspiring. Mm. So um, we were actually uh, um, surrounded by musical DJs and, and, and um, music heads at Radioactive right. um, in Wellington. And I, and I was a uh, volunteer DJ at the start there. Oh, and that's right. where I met some of the core members of the Black Seeds. Gotcha. Um, so we're all music lovers and de- part-time DJs yeah. and volunteers. And, um, and, you know, the other DJs were older and had you know better bigger music collections and um and um but also sharing it with people you yeah. know and um that that's really important so um yeah surrounded by you know music lovers basically and yeah. um so yeah there was a scene but it was very much a small smaller scene um in, yeah. in wellington anyway but it was the indie reggae dub scene but you know the black seed started as a uh, we didn't have heaps of songs i had a few when i you know um, when the band kind of became a band and um we worked towards the first album keep on pushing and yep. and we had some gigs where we were like this more of a dubby party band yeah you know it's like we did some funky dub stuff we did some kind of um you know james brown ripoff but in a reggae style things mm. um and at the time it was different you know people people were doing the kind of more coming out of the industrial right. uh, rock yeah middle sound and you know she had tune and had like a whole fur patrol even you know um yeah those kind of bands. Yeah. So yeah, it was quite a contrast. It was a very, it was a, a big contrast. I still like those bands, but of course, um, yeah. then, but you know, it's still a big contrast of like, hey, here's like, you know, um, Jamaican influenced, like in New Zealand Pacific dub stuff, you right? Know, and yeah. uh, compared to you know, uh, she had tune tracks, pretty different. But but given what you're saying, did you feel like you were you were 
pursuing something that was a niche and it was like we're just doing this for fun because we like it or did, did, did you feel like you were on the wave of something new no it did feel like there was a small wave of, of something new and then you know later um you know so first album 2000 with keep on pushing mm. and then um and then you know on the sun was a bit more of a funk album to, you know a funky reggae album in 2003 right that had so that had so true on it which got picked up yeah like a year and a half later by zdm yeah and um and they started playing it and we had a good really good video and that that kicked off just before um into the dojo 2006 which was our, our number one album right um and was that the was the video being played was that the thing that sort of landed the band and expanded the audience definitely yep. yeah all of a sudden then it's like basically mainstream well not mainstream but like popular in, in new zealand you know i, right. I made a i think i saw the other day just because it came up on my feed but um you know lab are smashing it and doing a great oh, job and fantastic highly band. successful yeah breaking all the records and <laughs> yeah. um and it just reminded me because it just said um yeah um black seeds uh, six weeks at number one spot you know um that's the last time it happened you know with 660 black seeds and, and um maybe lord right. or something like that and yeah. it's like I was like, shit, that's right, we did. We had a number one album for six weeks. That's fucking awesome. What, you forgot? Yeah, I forgot how long it was. <laughs> yeah. So what did that mean, you know, in pragmatically in your world? Did that mean suddenly you were yeah. bigger venues, suddenly there were bigger sums of money to be talked about, you know? Yeah, it was not sudden. Nothing about Black Seeds has been sudden. But, okay. um, yeah. yes, it was always a slow kind of manoeuvre, you know, right. it was a slow thing. But, um, you know... Um, well, more parties were happening actually. You know, started happening festivals like the you know the festival scene that we see today, which is like flourishing. Yeah, um, um, was not happening in two thousand six. That's right. Um, yeah. Apart from the big day out, which was you know, I mean you know rhythm and vines was growing and, and things were growing, but um, yeah. those big audiences we we weren't playing in, until later. Yeah. But um, yeah, it meant that people were actually buying physical units, you know, which so created quite a bit of revenue for us. Yeah, which was great as a boost. Right. You know, um, merchandise too. Uh, yeah, we've never been. Oh, yeah, we sold you know sell merchandise, but we've never been huge on that. But um, yeah. it was just it was just awesome to 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 you know for that for, for the band to achieve that because we've been working hard and we'd had um band main band members leave and stuff right. um around that time and we so we said we had a new lineup yeah for that album and we um you know had some great great music and skills from Mike Fab um, on guitar and, and we had a new drummer Johnny Murphy new keyboardist mm -hmm. you know so um, yeah. Brett McKenzie Brett McKenzie left the band you know at yes. that time to do awesome things amazing yes. things yep, absolutely. Um, and you know uh, our drummer Rich Christie who was a founder of the band and bass player Shannon was like you know Shannon was just kind of like oh I don't really want to go there you know like uh, you know I don't really want to make this like my main goal and stuff it's like and that's totally cool yeah I respect that and um and I respect that too. And yeah. and, and uh, Rich on drums was like, you know, I, I just really only want to do kind of like, I've got this corporate job, I want to do drums like once a month kind of thing, yeah. you know, a gig once a month. And I'm like, come on guys, like, we, you know, I want to I want to make this bigger, I want to do more shit and I want to be more active as a band. Yep. I was a bit younger. Yeah. And they and I said, can I continue the band without you guys? Mm. Will you be all right with that? And they were like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, so then, then that's uh, just before the year before um into the dojo 2006 and from then right. then the band did a lot of shit and i like that because what you're essentially doing is you're setting the expectation you're saying this is where we need to get to and this is how we need to get there and it's like no hard feelings are you in or out that's it and you know there is that kind of penisy intensity of a 20 you know something year old but mm. but you know it was it was going well and it's just that you know what are your expectations what do you where do you want to take this and, yeah. and if they're if they're quite low that's totally fair enough but shit you know like i put on the, all this work as well and yeah writing songs now and stuff can we can we take it further so i'm really glad that they said yes and also that that we wanted to do that and 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 we've grown a lot since then yeah um and you said a second ago that that you're working hard and i i do get the impression that you're working very hard and of course a lot of people um come into the business thinking it is just going to be a, a big party and uh yeah. and sometimes are shocked about you know when they discover how hard it like how much work yeah, there I mean, is, you know what I mean? It's like the ghetto, the ghetto hard times in the early st stages is like, you know, you're playing at a shitty Irish pub in Napier while they're watching the league for five bucks, you know? Right. And you're like, you're like, is anyone going to turn around and watch the Black Seeds while they watch the league, you know? And all of a sudden everyone um, cheers and claps and you think, we've got them. And then you realise that they're, like, someone just got to try. Uh, yeah, I thought that was my riff. I yeah, thought yeah, that was yeah, my riff. Exactly. Like, um, and then, so there's those kind of hard yards, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, but then between 2006 and say, uh, 2016 
it was fucking like quite extreme touring and uh, international stuff and and you know albums and um you know it just seems like there's always a challenge it wasn't like easy it was because right. we loved doing what we were doing um and you know many a story from the road and of like how fucking jaded you are and, yeah. and how uh, awesome you've got to be that night and, yeah. Um, yeah. and pun- punishing yourself with different things, um, <laughs> lack of sleep and all that. You know, it's not just a classic story. It like did happen to yeah. us. But, um, you know, um, yeah, but amazing times and like, you know, a lot of strength, you know. Um, yeah, so like, you know, my longest longest serving band member is Daniel Wheatman with me, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, he's we, we've got two front men or, you know, singers, yep. main singers. And generally, like he wrote, he writes something. He'll sing me, you know. Right. And if I write something, I will sing the main vocal, you know. Yeah. And that's totally cool. And I like being able to go. It's great to be able to to swap, you know, and go like, okay, yeah. you're singing this one, um, and it gives different tonality and stuff. And and he's a bit more kind of poetic in his writing, which in his lyrics, which I like right. and people love. And and I'm a wee bit more kind of obvious or a bit more kind of like simplified or I don't know. Well, I think that's genius, yeah, and, and I was saying to someone recently, I'm surprised more bands haven't done that because that's the that's the model that the Beatles gave us, you know, the Lennon mm. the Lennon McCartney thing, you know, and they were, yeah, yeah. they were different that's types it. of writers, you know, and that it just made the band so much broader, and you know, I mean, I'd like to have been the uh, Lennon, but I think that I'm the McCartney, unfortunately. I mean, you know, in a, in a slightly cheesy way, but yeah, you know, I love Paul McCartney. Hey, he's alive, and um, he's written some amazing music. Um, he's a good, he made good guy. it. He made it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I probably prefer the um, the Lennon um, approach. I don't know. Yeah. In terms of writing, as, who knows? As you a know. um, as a tangent, one thing I wanted to bring up with you was, it's, I guess it's a theory I've been working on in my thoughts. You know, which is, is that this movement that happened in Wellington with you guys and a lot of those other bands and the reggae and dub scene. My perspective is that it was very organic and that you guys were just doing something that you really believed in and loved and it latched onto an audience and it grew very organically. It wasn't sort of put yeah. to, it wasn't put together or forced in any way. It was just this very natural thing that obvious right. obviously really blew up. Um, and I'm then I'm sure the industry sort of surrounded it afterwards and went, actually that's a good thing. Um, and a lot yep. of a lot of the time these days we see uh, a lot of decisions being made in the business by people sitting at tables, you know, in, commi- mm. in committees saying this is what's going to be popular, this is what's going to sell, and I yeah. and I think that that often misses, of course, um, but it's also a bit of a gross process, you know, and yeah, I I feel like we need to have, and I, I <laughs> I'm sort of putting a big subject on you right now, but I feel yeah. like we need to have a more organic industry somehow, where mm. we where we let the music happen rather than mm. trying to force it where do you where do you weigh yeah, in on that just just adding to your you know the, the scene how it grew organically yes yeah. and you know and and that's how you know that's how all good things kind of happen you know right. like um generally you know there might be a signing or something or some money comes in or something but yeah but, you know the band has to be there um that's right i was just going to say that you know around the around those early 2000 years of labor and um and actually money for the arts came through right you know so there were all of a sudden there was a chance you know if you'd proven yourself as a as a serious band you could get some funding and mm-hmm. stuff and that for us has been so helpful and you know we're so grateful for that right um and i think that was helen clark obviously and um and really important to the to the scene, yeah. Um, to, to all the scenes and all the all the musical growth and all and, and, and actually just a, a pride and a um, funding base for New Zealand art mm. on all in all genres, uh, all mediums. Yeah, um, was really important mm. to invest in your country and in your artists um, back then. You know, has showed some great results. You know, yeah, um, yeah. And some worldwide hits and some yeah. you know some huge movements and um and and is a great investment. And that's when you know that's like under a generally a national kind of um, outlook right um, um, you know it's not valued as a cultural value you know mm. uh, internationally and actually you know New Zealand has a huge cultural value in different things that we do over here not just our native people and our language and Maori language um, yeah in our history down here but you know the music and the different things now thanks to some of that support yeah um, has helped make it make it international you know um, but yeah in terms of what you're actually saying you know like you know yeah, there's always going to be labels and there's always going to be big business. Um, you know, Black Seeds was signed to a big label, EMI in New Zealand, you know, um, for On The Sun and Into The Dojo and, mm. yeah, I don't know about maybe well, Solid Ground, I'm not sure. But they were really awesome because they had lead- great leadership with Chris Caddick and, yes. and others um, in the role saying, 
Catch a fire and the black seeds are going to be, you know, more popular. Trust me. Here we go. Let's do it. You know. Yeah. And they they were big supporters, and um and that was a good experience for us. Mm. Um, you know, generally, um, speaking. So that was that's cool. So it's not necessarily that you know um, you know the bigger labels aren't as uh, they are still influential, definitely. But they um you know there's less money around, and there's less projects that they're signing. You know, yeah. but um. You know, there's so much bloody music being produced, and some of you know, my opinion on a lot of what I hear is just like, oh my god, this fucking music! Like, can you turn it off, or do I have to leave? Or, um, you know, yeah, you heard right. that, you know, you, you know that fucking. Um, I like country music. Yeah. I like original country music and folk music and American yeah. Americana and all that kind of stuff. But you know that fucking um, <laughs> country, country hip hop, country hop kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, that's cheesy, yeah. poppy. That's right. Yeah. Have you fucking heard that shit? <laughs> it's weird, eh? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh man, I was yeah. I was at a um a uh, establishment the other day and um and I was just like I have to go like <laughs> this is this is like actually I have to go you know yeah. I'm a very opinionated music person but this I cannot handle. My point is that there's a lot of shitty music being made yeah. from my opinion and um and you know so that's another kind of motivating factor to make something that makes you feel something or yeah. is fat or groovy or has a cool riff or is rocking or you know um, yeah. any of that um so you need that you need that. You can't just have people behind the you know desks you know doing projects that they think might make money, but um, it depends what your motivating factors are. You know, I think yeah. it's you know you want to make great music, and you want to make some money, sure, and you want to have some fun, cool, yeah. you know. But um, you know, um, it all starts with those ideas and and that passion in the in the first place to, to yeah. make something that you, that you're feeling. Yeah, you know? and I and I personally, I don't I don't have a problem with the pop machine. You know, like I mean, the idea yeah. of the companies putting stuff together in it, I've got no issue with that. You know, I know a lot of people mm. who make a lot of money out of it, and not I don't just mean the artists. I mean the musicians that play for them and the producers and engineers. Like if yeah. it, it is an infrastructure. Um, I guess all I'm saying, um, aside from I guess the politics of it and all of that, is that historically speaking you've got like the punk movement and the grunge movement and the rock and roll and in, in, in london in the 60s and all these movements just sort of happened on their own you know and yeah and they yeah it's authentic yeah. you know it's like um being authentic is you know what i regard as like the core thing of being an artist right. it's like like if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna play the blues you know are you gonna play are you gonna play muddy waters or are you gonna play eric clapton you know i would choose muddy waters you know yeah um you know if you if you're playing funk you know uh, is it um you know, is it Funkadelic or is it um, Bruno Mars? Mm. It's fucking Funkadelic, mate. You know, like if it's, you know, yeah. if it's um, if it's psychedelic, you know, rocky guitar, it's probably the Hendrix experience. You know, um, right? Yeah. So let, let's let's choose the right thing. You know, let's 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 try to be authentic in ourselves. I think that you know, some people might say you know, are the black seeds authentic? And I think that we developed that. And yes, we're a, we're a you know we're a um, a uh, bunch of you know guys that love similar music and um but our sound is a pacific reggae yep. dubby sound soul sound you know? right right and that's what it is you know but um we never it, it, in the first album if you play it you know, i'm not like trying to be a jamaican guy in no. my vocal you know I was, I was very like stick to what you know you know stick to your voice yes. okay it might sound a bit strange at first people are like oh the kiwi accent's very strong in your in your reggae music and you're like of course it is mate i'm from like you know western suburbs wellington right yeah this is how I sound, you know. Yeah. Be, be proud of it, and then, and then, you know, people catch on later. But it takes takes a while. But you know, now we're not that cultural cringe is not is nowhere near as bad as it was That's right. in the late nineties. You yeah. know, yeah. So the black seeds blew up, and you know, you're in the middle of it. Why, in the in the height of all of that intensity, did you start fly my pretties? You're like, I'm super yeah. busy. I need to be busier. Yeah, I need to be busier. Um, definitely did. Um, it was it was just a concept. It was like you know, we've got all these other songs and friends of mine that have songs that are more songwriting, right? Rock country folky um alt country stuff you know yeah and it's like what kind of outlet what kind of band could do that around the black seeds mm. you know um and I, I was really into digging um bill withers live album donny yes. hathaway live oh, album yes. all these live albums right yeah. so so i was like i want to do live albums so what about this project does more theatrical stuff with a it's a showcase of talent right and we do these songs that have been sitting around that no one knows about and and, and you know provide that as a Kind of a platform, and mm. you know, and um, get that going. So, yeah. So we, so I started that um, 2004 or something. Yep. 2003, and um, you know, starting with a cover of "Turn It Around," you know, in a country style because mm. it was just totally made sense to me that that sounded kind of country. Um. So yeah, kicked that off then, and and that's had a you know a great uh, run. But you know, that's that's the less of the touring band and more of the concept kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm proud of that stuff and, and the work that 
yeah. um, everyone's done on that and the, the different talent, you know, the, the range of talents that, that have come through on there and the friends that I've been able to jam with. Definitely. And, um, you know, the live element's a, a good part of it, but, um, you know, we recently released two vinyls, which is more re-recordings of some of the live stuff in the studio for the first time. Nice. Which, um, you know, put a lot of effort into um, trying to get a definitive... Uh, version of which I think yeah. sounds awesome. I love but, the um, I love the innovation that came with that show. And was it a fully formed concept at the start, or did it evolve? I mean, not really. We, I mean, not really. It, it had the main things. You know, it's got to be artistic and have some kind of art exhibition in there. Yeah. And so we had an Australian artist, Michaela Dwyer, who did these big kind of bubble shaped, melted plastic kind of clouds, yeah. which is really abstract, but kind of cause a setting and. Um, and uh, the, you know the showcasing thing was obviously the core part of it, right? And um, yeah, just a chance to express that side of, of the musicality, um, and um, and you know let people know of talent that they might not have known about, yeah. You know, which yeah. sounds kind of grandiose when you're not that popular yourself, but <laughs> it's just more like you know, um, you know, I've never done a gig with Age Prior. Let's do one, yep. and Sam Scott from the Phoenix Foundation would be cool, and yeah. You know, Mike Fabs on bass and Darren Sigley on drums. It was just like a cool collaboration right. project. And I didn't know where it was going, whether it would be still around today or any of that, you know, stuff. You're just, you're just doing, you know, you're just doing and you hope that someone will be keen to listen to it and will come along. And that's there, it was the, the, the home of Flummer Pretties, you know, was the was the key factor that there was a small venue that right. loved that kind of, loved that kind of shit and was just like, yes, come and do a, a whole week there of yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Launching that kind of project these days would probably make more sense because it would be more... You know, fitting with what's going on, but back in the early two th- early to mid two thousands, it's more of a rock band scene and or more of a conventional scene. That must have been. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I remember hearing about it at the time. Like, well, that's different. You know. Yeah, I think I think the name. You know, the name was good. It was like, what the hell is that? Yeah, Why yeah. Am I what? <laughs> and then you're like, um, and then you're like, what do you mean and they changed the lineup? That's not very good. You know, like, right, yeah. And you're like, no, no, that's the whole thing. You know. Yeah. Um, so we had we've had probably sixty five or something different artists. You know. Wow. In the band, um, and it's not you know it's never a generally a personal thing that you don't get on with someone. It's just like oh we now we're doing this now we're doing this yeah. gig now we're doing this. You know. Right. There has been a core cool bunch of players that are instrumental. You know. Yeah. Obviously instrumental, but um, key to the sound. Yeah. The current sound. You know. The the core of the kind of thing where they can learn other people's tunes and make them sound even better than you know um yeah what, what they maybe had expected so awesome. yeah it's still going strong and, and, and i'm proud of that project and and i know you're a, you're a bit short of time so are you optimistic and feeling hopeful going into 2021 after the terrible year we've had last year and and second question yeah. do you have new projects on the go are we going to get the new flight you know black black seeds flyman pretties what's the next one yeah yeah um or is the next project your your, your family <laughs> yeah, um, you know, families obviously it's a big, big, big thing for me at the moment. Um, yeah. And um, yes, am I inspired in about this year? Yes, I am. Uh, are there heaps of cool projects and things to do? Yep. And, and I think I'm just working, you know, just on the time factor, time management, mm. um, finishing, finishing things, and um, and refining some of the skills that you have, like songwriting and mixing and stuff. But just, just refining even more so that the process is uh, not just quicker, not just more enjoyable, but just a better result. Right. Um, so there's heaps of songwriting. That's that's you know that's what I want to be doing. Um, Black Seat has a, a cool project. Flyer produces a longer uh, time frame for theirs. Yes. Um, and I've got the solo stuff that I need to that I want to release um, just just for my own sense of achievement and um, and songwriting. Um, Fantastic. And then yeah, that's it creatively really. Um, uh, just finishing things is quite a big deal for me at the moment. You know. Yeah. There's no point having a folder that I can just see here. It's just full of tunes. Some are awesome. Some are not. <laughs> Um, yeah. But you know, got to finish the ones that are awesome, you know. Yeah, that's and, it. And try and play them, play them to people. So yeah, yeah. Focus on um, family and health, um, you know, this this year, and um, and then hopefully everything else will um, fall into place. But yeah, you, you know, with a whole lot of work and a whole lot of effort, and hopefully a good vibe, and um, you know, a bit of bit of space in the mind. And um, but yeah, the passion's still there, man. And just you know, um, kind of like that feeling of heaps to prove to people as well. Not not doing it for that, but my yep. sense of a drive is still there creatively yeah. to try and impress myself first and then hopefully others with cool uh, music and, and live shows in there. Fantastic. So, you know, that's yeah. that's always the... And get better, you know, get better at it. And um, yeah. that's kind of the plan. Yeah. Well, how about been, you? How about, how about you? Well, we've got a, um, a show that we've been working on for a while called Noise Play. 
and we're doing the debut performance next week um, with Bonnie Hiranui and Debbie Harwood are guesting. And it's been really awesome. We've we've been working extremely hard on it, and um, we sold out three weeks before the date, which is nice for a debut show. Sweet. So yeah, um, wicked. There's mashups of songs, and you know we've got the guests, and we've got a film element, and it's it's just something a cool. little bit different. So um, yeah, we're we're, awesome. we're pretty excited about that, and. And that's consuming all of our energy at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so, ah, sounds like a great project, man. Good yeah, luck with that. Yeah, sounds thanks awesome. very much. Well, yeah. I mean, awesome to have a um, sold-out crowd, you know, for your debut oh. project, you know? I mean, we, could, we wouldn't have expected it. You know, it's been it's a really exciting. nice surprise. I mean, when was the last time a brand-new show sold out, you know? So, yeah. yeah. That's cool. No, wicked, man. Awesome. So, no, all the best all the best to you, and thanks for uh, listening to me. Yeah, yeah, and thanks for the last hour, and it's been great chatting. Awesome, man. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe and give us a review on iTunes.